At Southbank, Broadbeach, Cullen Bay, as Aussies wake to meet the day, they tune their dial to Macca. I was listening to your letter this morning about aviators having been forgotten, which reminds me of my grandmother, Millicent Bryant, who was the first woman pilot in the Commonwealth, the first woman to get her licence in the Commonwealth. And sadly, nobody knows about her because she was killed, not in an aeroplane accident, but in the Sydney Harbour Greycliff accident, only a few months after she received her licence. My son has written a book about her, which she's now trying to get published, but the publishers are saying, well, who's she? We've never heard of her. Nobody will buy that book. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? And, of course, it's a story of her being... They, they were pioneers. They, they came out with Governor Gipp. They'd been part of Australia, the whole family. They were... She was Millicent Harvey. She was born Millicent Harvey. And Jerry Harvey is one of her... Would have been her nephew. Well, God, uh, ring Jerry, for God's sake. He should be publishing this. Uh, well, uh, God, help uh, me. <laughs> We have talked to him, but we should talk to him more, I think. Oh, uh, Jerry, get Jerry yeah. on the phone, Kel. <laughs> yeah, Macker in the morning turns my week around. He picks me up when I feel down. I wait all week for Macker on a Sunday morning. Ooh, it's cold this morning for Nancy's chooks. They're walking dogs, they're writing books. As Trevor stacks his bottles by the roadside. On you, Trev. In Turak, T.I., Tumbarumba, at the Lodge and Yarralumla. They might be listening to Macca on a Sunday morning. My week starts with Macca on a Sunday morning. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Uh, this morning, uh, honour rolls. That's not, uh, they're not eating rolls. The honour rolls. We're going to talk about that, uh, mathematics and history and and you. Um 1300 that's our number. Lovely to have your company. Lots of emails. Macca says, um, Rob, is it Rob Patterson, Rob and Margaret Patterson? Um, Macca, forget about the large army in China. We have a standing army of 26 million here in Australia who are starting to mobilise, and I'm very proud of my country. Let's all get behind our food producers. We are, Rob, we are. Um, just a quick hello, says Michael. I work in Port... I worked in Port... Botany early this morning, that's like Port Melbourne, big ships, and about to crash and get some sleep before the neighbours mow their lawns. <laughs> the joys of shift work. See, they've had rain there in Sydney. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. I piloted one of the largest container ships that is called into Port Botany, the Northern Jade, 332 metres long. Think about it, kid. Nearly the length of North Sydney uh, Pool is uh, at 43 metres, um, and nearly the length of... North Sydney Pool at 43, the width, I'd say, that'd be, yeah, at 43 metres. They are getting bigger, but the height is an issue due to the proximity of the airport. No ships over 52 metres in height, that is from the water level to the highest part of the ship, can call into Port Botany. The ship this morning had to lower its mast. Wow. You hear it all here. The big cruise ship, such as the Ovation of the Sea, is around 68 metres. It's a news story, that, Kel? Um, the talk of bringing cruise ships into Botany is happening again, but no one seems to mention or realise the issues of the height of these ships. Good news for two school leavers. The Port Authority of New South Wales is sponsoring two deck cadets to embark on a career at sea, which is very rare, as the coast is full of foreign ships, says Michael Kelly. Lovely story, Michael Kelly. Thank you. (laughs) This is our friend Irv from from the United... uh, These are United Snakes, as my... 
magazine used to call the United States here in the United Snakes. I'm looking forward to today's show as always, says Irv. Irv's in um, Peru, Western Maine. I just wanted to let you know that my fiancée Celia and I have transplanted 13 pseudo-acacia trees last Sunday. It's American black locust dot acacia trees, pseudo-acacia, so they're not really acacias maybe. uh, But anyway, she loves the scent or smell from these most beautiful flowers, so I just had to search for those seeds. We did this while listening to last Sunday's show, Your Father's Day and the day after September 1st, Australia's Wattle Day. Please, if you would, can I be considered as an adopted Australian? Well, we'll, you know, that just doesn't happen. We'll have to put that to a vote. Irv, we'll have to put that to a vote, mate. Um, Can I... (laughs) For starting these trees from seeds last March, nurturing them in smaller pots until they were four to five foot tall, then transplanting them into the ground so they can go tall and strong. And if you could fit it in, could you play the Waddle Song? Merv, that's a lot of requests. The Waddle Song sometimes on today's show. I'll I'll try, Merv. I think, what do you think? I think Irv can be adopted Australian. Mm. Uh, yes, Ian, says Catherine Edwards. The booking agencies are reaping our tools. The other thing that's not being mentioned, we were talking about this last week uh, after our call from Brisbane about overseas booking agencies that are just taking all uh, uh, commissions and not paying a lot of tax here. Yes, the booking agencies are reaping our tools. The other thing that's not being mentioned is the fact that government agencies, government agencies will only use online booking agencies costing the taxpayer hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees that go offshore and no tax paid in Australia. Adam's in Bensville. Morning, Adam. How are you? Good morning. Where's Bensville? Oh, it's, it's uh, just past the Hawkesbury, you know, near Gosford. Yeah, in New South Wales. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, we've had a we've had a fair bit of moisture here the last few days, yeah. and the high looks like it's going to take the moisture inland. Yeah. Um, I reckon by Wednesday the troughs forming up, you know, further north in the country, come down to the west, so probably get some storms through the week later on. All right, okay, that's what you reckon, eh? Yeah, yeah I think this moisture, if it hangs around, maybe a little bit of burning off to catch the moisture up in the upper atmosphere. Mm. And you, um, you sound like you know your weather, Adam. Oh, I just I, I do hang gliding, so I'm always onto it, uh-huh. looking looking for the flying days and the you know the instability. So yeah, you're watching the highs and the troughs and. Um, what, and are you, uh, what are you looking for when you're hang glider? Are you looking up updrafts or a uh, wind or no wind or what? Yeah, you want the instability. You know the highs and the lows and the troughs. You know and um, yeah, you want the cold going hot. And you know, how and, high do you go in a hang 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 glider, Adam? Uh we're allowed to go to ten thousand feet. You haven't been that high, have you? Yeah, we've been over. Sometimes you you get sucked up past ten thousand, but you know, you. And this, you got a little engine? Um, yeah, I have got an engine with. A, I've got a harness with a motor on the back, huh. so I can, I can launch off a paddock, get up to a couple hundred feet, and then get in a good updraft and go up to up to ten thousand. Without the motor, um, I can't come with you, Adam. Uh, I'm busy that day. Um, uh, uh, hopefully, when they start the Uber, air, we'll be able to take some passengers. Oh, give me a break! Oh, <laughs> there's no way. Yeah, there's no way. But oh, I'd love to get out and, and and go from farm to farm and pop in and see all the farmers. You know, I, I, that's one of my dreams. One day is to get out there and just 
travel the country in the glider and just land from farm to farm. And what are you going to do when you get there? You'll have to take something. You can't just turn up. They'll, you'll have to, they'll have to give you a feed and a cup of tea and some cake and stuff. Um, yeah, oh, a little bit of tea strike oil and a little bit of super would be fine. Get me on my way. You can't carry much on, in a hang glider, can you? Uh, I'm pretty limited to my weight, but yeah, I can take water and a bit of food and maybe a, you know. Um, something keep me warm. Yeah, all right, Ed. Good on you, mate. Nice to talk. Yeah. Nice to talk to you. Uh, happy gliding. Okay, thank you. All right, mate. Bye. Bye. Jim's in Melbourne. Morning, Jim. Good morning, Macca. Um, the weather's overcast. It's chilly with a very light breeze. And what are you doing, Jim? Um, I'm advertising the third national conference of the Mechanics Institutes and School of Arts at Ballarat in November. Uh huh. And uh, we've got some, uh, the conference lasts for three days from the 16th to the 18th of November and our keynote speakers are Richard Williams from Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh, Sean Williams from the uh, Wales Schools of Mines and uh, Michelle Frey from New Zealand. Gee, that'll be interesting. Jimmy, when's that on? You said in November. 16th to the 18th. And where at? At Ballarat Mechanics Institute. Now, how many Mechanics Institutes are there? Are they only are they confined to um, Victoria, or they're in South Australia, or New South Wales? What's the story with Mechanics Institutes? Um, they're generally known by as Mechanics Institutes in Victoria. In South Australia, they're known and known by institutes. Mm. New South Wales and Queensland generally schools of arts. Uh-huh. And in Western Australia, they can be farmers' halls or miners' halls or a number of different um, definitions. Uh, and, and they're a history of Australia, really, aren't they, in terms of just the building and the reason they were started and and uh, for educating um, the public and, yeah, to, to go after work and you could learn things. That's that's really where, how they started, Jim, wasn't it? That's right. In many cases, they were the first public building in a town and in a lot of cases today, they're the last public building to survive with the name of the district on it. Yeah, wonderful. Look, I might try and get to that. You said November 16th in Ballarat. Yes, November 16th to 18th. Yeah, all right. I'll, I'll, I might see you there, Jimmy. Listen, uh, give us a weather report for Melbourne this morning. Where are you? What suburb are you in? Um, we la- we're la- I'm located in Donvale, and as I said, it's overcast, chilly, and, and a very light breeze. All right, okay, Jim. See you in Ballarat in uh, November. Fabulous. Thank you ever so much, Macca. Good on you, mate. Right, thanks, bye. Bye. G'day, this is Macca. Oh, hi, it's David Macca, and I'd like to talk about turnips. You mentioned it earlier in the show. Where are you, Dave? I'm in Skipton, Victoria. Uh-huh, right, yeah, go for it. Uh, well, it's a, it's a wonderful little vegetable, and you can... Uh, they're not used that much in uh, Australia, but you can puree them, use them in casseroles, finely chop them with red onions, you know, herbs. And they're wonderful for soups because they're thickening the soup out. <laughs> yeah, they and, go on. And they can be used in the summer, you know, hour and winter. They've got a very nice nature. <laughs> <laughs> now you're you're Scottish, some somewhere along the line, David. Yes, no, I I, I was born in Scotland, but I, I came to Australia when I was twenty, and I, I love it still. And you've still you still managed to retain your little Scottish accent. Yes, I have indeed. It's um, it's, it's just 
my nature, I suppose. It's, I've been lazy. <laughs> <laughs> now in Scotland, I know they call it something. What are they? One of the, the famous, yeah, the famous dish is something in neeps. Is it? What? Yeah, I, I, I don't know the name of the dish, but uh, yeah, we had it was ever even porridge. <laughs> you have turnips in porridge. No. Uh, well, we did with salt, and um, it wasn't unusual. We were farmers, um, so we just, yeah, you, we even ate them raw, you know, with salt and pepper on them. Wow. Uh, and they're obviously very good for you, though. Well, yes, yeah, so they've got some enzyme in them that rips through all your tubes and, uh, and, and cleanses. It's a, that's what a real... we want, something that rips through our tubes. I mean, <laughs> that's what we want. Well, everybody in the out of control room is nodding, Dave. <laughs> yeah, so Sounds well, like it, fits a... in, it fits in with your show, Mac. It's, it's, it's a great show and it rips through all of us people that love the culture. <laughs> so, Dave, what did you do for a living? What do you do for uh, a living? I'm a, an artist, a painter. Oh, really? Yeah. And what, what sort of naive artist or a landscape? No, no, I, I'm, uh, I paint mainly on a. Uh, de- you know, genetically modified foods and alchemy, that sort of thing. It's more scientific. Oh, right. Um, Gee, that sounds interesting. Oh, I love it, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's not a big market, but it's just, uh, serious collectors like my work, so that, that's all good. I'm, I make a living at it. Yeah, and do you travel around the world with that or what? Yes, I do. Uh, I go around the place. Uh-huh. There you go. And how, what, did you get it? Were you doing that before you came here? No. Uh, no, I, I studied it in uh, Sydney, the, the Sydney Tech, the National Art School. Well, there you go. We're going to be talking about the Sydney Tech this morning. Dave, uh, what's it like in Skipton? What sort of a joint Skipton? Uh, it's, uh, it's a small town. It's got a gorgeous little lake. It's um, a bit of field paint around the place, but there's a lot of things happening around here. There's a, a, a the largest windmill farm in the world is being built about uh, 10 miles from here, so wow. everyone seems quite excited about it. In what way are they excited? Uh, well, lots of work. Probably economics. You know, it'll, it'll make uh, the businesses in town kind of revamp themselves or uh, neaten things up somewhat, I guess. You know, even the architecture, landscape around the place will all be made nicer, I feel. There's, properties come on the market for rent, you know, for accommodation and so on. So it seems to be motivating the community. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? And why did you choose Skipton? Is that for, for your well, art? Well, I actually live in Melbourne, but I, I have a studio here in Skipton. I saw it years ago and uh, just purchased it in a, in a whim. And I come here usually one week a month and, and just sort of meditatively work and enjoy the, the kind of the quietness of it it's, it's just a very very nice small town and it's in a little dip it's like a Walt Disney art director <laughs> you know, designed it it's sort of a bit it's all a bit clunky it's so beautiful and pretty you know with the, the trees and the right places and then there's churches it's all it's in a dip so you've got churches that on the high bits the lake in the middle and the nice bridge and a, a river so uh. <laughs> we all we all need a little bolt hole like that, uh, Dave. <laughs> I I often think about uh, yeah, it would be nice to have a little place and go out and pat the kangaroos yeah. and all that sort of stuff. You know, I've got like I've been listening to your show for years and years. I, I was a dear friend of Peter Curtin. He was a big fan of you under your show, 
Oh, we're a big fan of Peter Curtin. He was just the best reader. Oh, just the best reader. He made he made the the book readings just come to life. I've I've still got one of his, um, which I intend to play somehow somewhere, which is the Flying Doctor book. Um, uh, a book about the first Flying Doctor. It's a it's a lovely little read, and I've still got that, which I mean to play oh, sometime. Fantastic. He's uh, he was lovely. He was great. You know, mm. re- reading and uh, yeah. So how did you bump into uh, Peter Curtin? Uh, well, he worked in the theatre. He was at Melbourne Uni, and we did, we worked in the theatre together for a while at a theatre company called the uh, Claremont Theatre. Uh-huh. And I was trying to um, improve my voice. I had, my diction is terrible. Oh, I think it's so, wonderful. Go on. Oh, thanks. Anyway, <laughs> to cut a long story short, I was working in advertising, and uh, my boss said, look, you could have improved your, um, you know, you have to be more, not articulate, but the diction. So uh, he, he got me uh, into a theatre company and I worked with him for a year and my diction improved, not the accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think your diction's fantastic, Dave. And uh, listen, um, lovely to talk to you this morning. We'll have to catch up sometime. I've always meant to go to... Um, the highlands of Scotland somewhere and uh, skip around there. But, um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll talk to you sometime and you can give me a few uh, tips on the finer points of places to go in Scotland. But you left a fair while ago, Dave, didn't you? Yes, I did indeed. Yeah, all right. Well, look, uh, we'll try and talk to a turnip grower this morning and uh, <laughs> we'll keep it ripping through our tubes. <laughs> Terrific, Maka. It's so nice to talk to you. Good on you, David. Th- thanks Bye. Bye. And I suppose when you walk past, if you ever see an honour board, and you see them everywhere, you see them in rowing clubs, you see them in rugby clubs, you see them in big public service uh, offices where you'll see an honour board of people who went to war. Um, Sometimes they're in good nick, sometimes they're taken down off the wall and put in a cupboard. Um, My next guest saw an honour board in a school in Sydney, Sydney Technical School, Sydney Tech High School, and wanted to do something about it. They've done some work on it. Uh, Ken Stevens Stevenson is a mathematics teacher. Uh, with him is Robert Devlin, who's a history teacher at the school, at uh, Sydney Technical High School. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good, Good morning, Macca. Lovely to... Tell me the story, Ken. Tell, tell me about the honour board at Sydney Tech High School. Well, it was in pretty poor shape in some respects, and um, I started asking questions. That was my first mistake. And I put my hand up. That was the second mistake. (laughs) And I've ended up doing a lot of research. Um, The idea was to look at the names and to not only put corrections to their spelling, um, but to uh, get the stories behind them and make them a living record. And uh, it's been a very exciting project, Macca. Mm. And uh, in the process, we've managed to find six, 70 extra names. 70? 70. That weren't on the board? Seven zero. That's right. Wow. And is, is this because, I mean, I know this the last five years from 14 to 18, sort of, um, is, is focused Australia and indeed the world's attention on, on the First World War. And a lot of us, there have been a lot of books written. And so a lot of Australians, uh, I'll talk about Australians, but around the world, learnt more, much more about the sacrifice and what went on, especially on the West, Western Front. We were mostly concentrated in Australia, certainly on Gallipoli for most of the time. But um, now I, everything seems to have focused. Lots of books written about our involvement in the, in the First World War. And I think people can't get their head around the fact that 60,000 uh, 
uh, were killed in a little country like Australia, and the same in New Zealand, mm, inordinate, right. in, inordinate sort of sacrifice. And you see these names on a board, and uh, I read something the other day where somebody said, oh, uh, 9-11, which is, you know, the disaster in New York is now history and most young kids don't really know about it because mm. it was, a, it was um, a long time ago, mm. really. So um, I don't know what young children now think about the First World War, uh, Robert Devlin is you're teaching at the school. So what? What? Uh, how do you focus? Because um, you've been doing some research with your kids in classes, right? Yes. Yes. And I, yes how I do have. they focus? How do you focus them on something that happened in, you know, nineteen fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, well, a long time ago? Well, through this project, we've been um, able to focus our students on the stories and lives of the. Uh, oh, so, uh, the stories and lives of uh, was it the old boys of the school, mm-hmm. and um, they've been the students have been really engaged in this process of research editing, uh, going back over was it what's what how how they fought, mm. where they fought, and then their lives afterwards as well. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, it's been a great project uh, for engagement of the students at the school. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so they, they've learned they've learned through this. The history of World War One, but it's a personal history as well. It's not just a. It's not just the history of Australia. It's a personal history of uh, somebody who's actually been through this conflict. It's a great way. It's a bit like going on an excursion. School. We didn't do a lot of excursions, but I remember at uni I did a botany excursion. I said, mm. "Oh, this is all right. You're not actually in the classroom. You're out looking at plants and bits and stuff, and mm. bits and pieces." But I suppose history was, you know. Um, all boring dates and you know mm. things, and but I suppose if you get actually people involved in researching things, and um, mm. it just makes the the subject live, doesn't it? Well, well there's there's one boy who's um, been researching uh, a, a former teacher of the school who went to First World War, and he's gone further than any of us would have thought. So the teacher was Arthur Water, who um, made the the second honour board, and he's gone was it to the who to his next school and found out, uh, found his obituary, which tells us so much more information about this teacher. And what's one of the great things about this obituary is that you find that this teacher, even though he'd been in the war for three years, comes back and wants to do the right thing, wants to teach the students, not just in the classroom, but he does all these other things outside school. He, he, um, he's a woodwork teacher and then moves into, goes back to uni, becomes an English teacher and also teaches history, he teaches about was it conflicts and about how we make peace. So here's somebody who comes back and has, was it changed by the war, but changed for the better as well, which is a great story, I think. It's, it's lovely. It's it yeah. a wonderful story. I'm talking to Robert Devlin, uh, here with the Irish accent, I, I suspect, and Ken Stevens. And Ken sent me an email, and it says, amongst other things, um, uh, the original 280 names on this honour board, um, 70 names have found which should have been on the original board, and an amazing panoply of life stories that this is Sydney Technical High School. It used to be called Sydney uh, Technical School. Is that what it's called? Was it original name, Ken? Started as the Technical... Sorry, you'll have to... <coughs> started as the Technical Day School the in te- 1909. Wow, the Technical Day School. Mm-hmm. Um, Pioneer Submariners, Pioneer Kiaps, opening up the Wangi Valley in PNG, Pioneer Aviator, Ice Cream Maker McNiven. I remember McNiven's Ice Cream. That's right. Wow. Uh, Sir Charles Kingsford Smith, he was an old boy, was he? Yes. There you go. Briefly. <laughs> 
head of the public service, Bradfield's chief engineer, fraudsters. We all had fraudsters at school, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Um, I knew they weren't fraudsters, but they were going to be fraudsters. Yes. <laughs> they were sitting next to you. Mun- munitions workers, ordinary men doing amazing deeds of dedication to the country, raising their aid to join. Tell me about Mr McNiven. Do you know much about him? Yes. Well, he was a lecturer at the uh, Technical College in Chemistry and also at the high school as well. Mm. Um, he enlisted and he took his demobilisation in England and with his brother Charles went over to America and came back with a bright idea of starting an ice cream factory. Right. And the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> All this. And um, the pioneer submariner, who was that? That was Frank Getting. Uh, Frank was in the school for about a year mm. and then he went to the new naval college at Geelong in uh, Ormond House and that transferred to Jovis Bay. Um, he was sent to with the, the first graduating class, the 23 of them, they went to the great naval expedition in England. They served with the Royal Navy and then he was uh, put into the submarines. And he became the first Australian to actually pass the Royal Navy's test to be a commanding officer of a sub. Wow. Mm. Uh, and that was early days, wasn't it, of submarines? Was. And, mm. and knowing what you know now... He was in the same class as Smithy, oh. Sir Charles Kingsford. Wow. There mm. you go. Now, uh, I'm talking to Ken Stevens. That's Ken just speaking then. Ken, you were a, you were a mathematics teacher? Was. Reti- was. Retired. Retired. Now... Now statistics and and Robert Robert Devlin is a is a history teacher. Yes, Robert, you've been in Australia how long? Nineteen ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. And why did you come to Australia? I, I followed the love of my life. Oh, really? Yeah, my beautiful wife. Uh huh. She's listening at the moment, so she'd be very embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And and history. Um, yeah, I can't remember much of history at school. Um, I did ancient history as well as modern history, but um. Uh, as I said, it, you need to make it live, don't you? And to oh, give, yes. um, it was pretty. Well, I found everything dull at school. Mm. We didn't do. But as I said, mm. when you look at kids now at school, they do all sorts of stuff. There's excursions every other day. Mm. They're doing all sorts of stuff, and and they're involved in the subject to mm. do their own research and stuff like that, rather than yeah. saying turn to page. As I said to Kenya, they turn to page fifty-three of Schiller and Healy and do those sums and. Uh, <laughs> Then talk to me when you finish those. Um, but so you've got to make your subject live, I suppose, haven't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it, th- through this project has been fantastic mm. to do that. Mm. I'll say. Now, tell me about um, that school, Sydney Tech High School. I had a lot of mates who went to Sydney Tech. Um, that school's changed its demographic, hasn't it? Because there's a lot of more Chinese Australian kids there now because it's it's near the great area of Hurstville, which is largely Chinese, really, isn't it? Yep. So the demographic of that school would have changed. Um, and so many of your students would be Chinese Australian? For sure, yes. And, and yet they're still interested in, in oh, looking at the First ab- World War. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I, I, I think the thing is, though, is that when you when you see history like this, mm. and when you when you research it and you and you get the stories of history, it, it's it's universal stories. It's universal sto- mm. stories of courage, of of going through things that you know you and me wouldn't want to go through ever again, and they are, and they they get a real feeling and a real passion for the the chase of history of trying to find out you know that little bit more. That, that that makes and those individual stories that make history so important to uh, us as individuals and communities and, and, and Australians. And Ken, how did you get involved in this? Why? I'm an old boy of the school mm. and at various functions I saw the, the board and I 
just got passionately involved in mm. the in, in in the chase for information and making these stories living stories. What we want to do is for the boys of the school uh, is to make them understand that even young people at various times in history can have huge demands put upon them and huge responsibility. One of the boys at about age 15, 15 and a half, walked out of class. This is Rupert uh, Donaldson. He became a bugler in the army and he was on the gangplank embarking on the ship and there's a voice behind him saying, Donaldson, what are you doing here? He turned around, it was his English teacher, Harrison, who was also embarking wow. and going to war at the same time. And uh, Rupert's, Rupert's son, Malcolm, is listening in this morning because at the rededication ceremony of the new board, uh, we'll be using the bugle that Rupert played and used in World War I. It's our home among the gum trees And if you've got the time, I'll tell you That's the story. What were you doing, uh, do you reckon, 25 years ago? Do you remember? I've got some letters which I came across from about 25 years ago. And it'll just give you an idea of how things change, I suppose. People don't write letters as much. Now, they write emails, but they don't write letters. And the letter to me was sort of a... A considered thing. It's when you had time, and I don't think we've got time. It's like me with the newspapers. I browse them quickly, 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 because there's just not time. And I'm sure there's not time for people to sit down and do a considered write. And yet it's a lovely thing to do. You just look at it when you've finished it, and there's a two or three or four page letter. I remember when friends were overseas, my mum was overseas, she'd write me a letter. You know, I was back here at uni, and she was overseas, and uh, she'd write a letter, it'd be three, four pages, and my dad would too. Anyway, these are letters. Have a listen to these. These are, and see how you think things have changed 25, 27 years ago from the early 90s. This is from Heather Galvin. Heather was on a station then. She's probably gone now. Bill and Gara Station. Dear Macca, up here in the Gulf country of the Northern Territory, the ABC is our lifeline to the world. I wonder if it still is. And your program brings the rest of this wonderful country right to us, ordinary Aussies from all over. Gives us, in isolation, the reassurance we often need. 91. As I write this, I'm listening to your wonderful bird music, to which, in addition, I have the supreme pleasure of hearing and seeing the real live ones joining in. As our home is open living, louvers and verandas, best suited to a tropical climate, not only can we hear you in the workshop or garden, so can our multitude of feathered friends who join in joyously or with alarm at the sometimes strange birds invading their realm. Our radio is via a 100-watt codan on relay from Darwin and Catherine which also includes the Royal Flying Doctor frequency used when necessary. See, they're all gone. I don't need an alarm clock. I sleep out in the veranda now that the weather is warming up. My early morning call is the melodious trill of a bird in the shrubbery about three feet from my bed, just outside the screens. What a wonderful awakening. Why hasn't someone invented an alarm clock that trills? <laughs> Actually, a bloke sent me an alarm clock that laughed like a kookaburra. But it, um, yeah, it carked it. Anyway, to be so blessed to have the privilege of listening to the various calls, I counted 12 different species of sounds this morning, to watch the daylight emerge, the horses come in for water, the stirring of the life that surrounds and abounds about me. I must be the luckiest lady alive, says Heather Galvin. Isn't it lovely the way she writes too? But I write this with some sadness also, as this will be the last program I'll enjoy from the bush. Like many other Aussies from all over, I'm leaving the bush, the life I've always known, lived and loved, broken dreams, broken promises, and finally broken heart. 
there are so many of us leaving the land these days, yet I hear that some Australians go hungry. The ABC brings us the matters that affect us so vitally, wars that affect our fuel prices, markets that are being closed to us. We may live way out west, but the value of the Aussie dollar is crucial to us. Yet each Sunday morning I am reassured there is still a true blue Aussie about. And for this, I say thank you. Ten years ago, we came to this remote area of Australia. So much has been achieved. So much has been lost. Good times and hard times. Pioneers in a modern age. Unbelievable but true. My concerns are not only for my own country, but the world at large. May God bless you and keep you making for what you've done and are doing every Sunday morning for Ordinary Aussies, says Heather Galvin. As I said, she was on Bill and Gareth Station. There's a postscript. I enclose a copy of the resume of this property which I normally supply to tourists who visit this region, except that I've now been running this lump of mud on my own for the last two years. Liberated I may be, but the bushmen up this way haven't heard about it yet. My Aboriginal employees and friends are wonderful. There you go. That was from Heather Galvin at Bill and Gareth Station. You might find that's it's, uh, via Catherine in the NT. As I said, that's 25, 27 years ago. This is from a bloke called Keith Stevenson who was writing from Thargaminda. Dear Ian, I'm an Anglican priest. I've left the regular parish ministry in order to live in the Bulu Shire, which covers 73,000 square kilometres, 28,000 square miles of southwestern Queensland in the corner. Now he won't obviously be there anymore. I came with one change of clothes, no money, no car, no house, just as the Bible says clergymen should. We do not take up a collection or charge for any church services. Freely have you received, so freely give. And I discourage donations, preferring paid work, honest labour. I've never been so content, so fulfilled, so rich or so free. Each evening I go bushwalking down the banks of the Bulu River, disturbing the abundant animal life. Last week I was guest at the Nakundra Hotel and saw the Cooper, the Jackson and the Wilson River, thanks to Bruce Gill and Bluey. I wonder what Bruce Gill and Bluey are doing. There must be dozens of places like this around the interior of Australia that have never had a resident minister of any church, and they are just waiting to make other clergy as content as I am. Hope you enjoy the poem I wrote. Careful as you read it, the speed changes suddenly and deliberately. Enjoy your program, says Keith Stevenson. Postscript. Would you believe I see every family in this vast area each couple of months? I go with the police and with the mail trucks, and my church notes go out to every family with the school newsletter. This must be the only parish run on zero dollars, just for the love of it. Isn't that nice? And here's Keith's poem. And that's what it's called. It's called Keith's poem. In the morning, in the bushland, in the sunshine oven heat, see the opal cutter searching in the rocks beneath his feet. Raise the arm, raise the hammer, pitting strength against the stone. Feels the jarring, feels the stopping, feels his flesh against the bone. Raised the eyebrows, raised the forehead, matted hair against the hat, sees the emu walking slowly, silent, haughty like a cat. Comes a whirlwind, shaking bushland, see the leaves on moving trees. Send it here, Lord, whispers Cutter. I can take its cooling breeze. In the morning, in the noonday, through the evening's angled rays, works the Cutter, tiring shoulders, Blurring stone before him plays, stinging eyes with salty moisture, fuzz the sight he strains to use. Then he glimpses smoky opal, holds it in his hand to muse. 
As I said, they were written 25 years ago, 26 years ago. Times have changed, people change, things move on, but Australia stays the same? I don't know, does it? It's the same and yet it's different, but it's still ours. If you'd like to write to Why I Live Where I Live, post office box 9994 Sydney 2001, and that's Why I Live Where I Live for this week.